Hello, welcome to Say That Podcast, where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Podcast mode activated. He was previously in stop motion animation mode, and that does not work well for an audio medium. It really does not. Also, just murder on the wrists to do it any kind of uh, live clip. So joining us all there from Mercury Tennessee is Lee Younger. When Jed said that, I imagined like a uh, 80s video game noise, like the 8-bit, like... like oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Th- those are the noises that I imagined in- inside my brain. That's right. It's like the player two for podcast listener. Well, we've got <laughs> we've got a great show lined up. We've got some of your fine questions. But first, we must start with a I don't even know how to describe this is a this is an emergency on many levels. And it's uh oh this is an emergency generated by a gentleman named Nick Adams, who's uh Twitter X Elon.com, whatever you call it now, is uh his uh, handle is Nick Adams in USA. He, he has a title, though. I think it's important that you share his uh, title. It says Nick Adams, open parentheses, alpha male, close parentheses. No. No. Um, so this is an Australian gentleman who really? came. Yeah. I didn't know that. Who, according to the Wikipedia, no less a source than Wikipedia, uh, did not visit, the, even visit the United States until he was 25 years old. Um, but he uh, writes a bunch of crazy uh, culture war stuff, as as we'll get into. Uh, he has a book called uh, "Retaking America." But wait, didn't you say he was Australian? Yeah, maybe he means taking it for Australia. Sure, absolutely. Which would at least be an interesting, an interesting point of view, <laughs> especially the retaking part, because he'd have to make a case. That Australia at some point had America, maybe in a Pangea situation. Yeah, we're going <laughs> way back. So we'll we'll get more into this because I think this is a fascinating gentleman that proves some things. But uh, so the, the tweet that caught uh, Jed's eye is from February, and somebody had aggregated it somewhere, and uh, it says, "Oat milk is not in the Bible. Video games are not in the Bible. Tofu is not in the Bible. Gender pronouns are not in the Bible." Electric vehicles are not in the Bible. If these things were so good for humanity, why didn't God give them his endorsement in the scripture? There's a lot going on here because um, there's some very specifics here. First of all, uh, gendered pronouns are definitely in the Bible. Yep. Like God says like he and stuff. So like none of these people understand what pronouns are. I found that to be true, particularly online, but even in real life. The people who are the most angry about pronouns have totally skipped the second grade lesson where they learned what they are, which brings us back to the tweet in question because, um, I, I, other than not knowing what pronouns are and making up the category of gender pronouns, which implies something, I think, I don't know, sure. making up parts of grammar to be mad at the, the other things are hilarious because they're so specific as, as, uh, I believe one of you pointed out, uh, Twitter, not in the Bible. You're on the Twitter. Uh, this guy has a lot of feelings about the NFL, which we'll get into. Uh, football, super not in the Bible. Uh, despite what many, many Southern football coaches would tell you. Uh, <laughs> the the maximum of low man, a pad level win, low pad level wins is not in the Old Testament or New Testament scriptures in any explicit way. Blasphemy. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but I love the the very specific 
special oat milk is not in the Bible. <laughs> they, like there's lots of types of liquid that aren't in the Bible. Yeah. I bet if they had oat milk, it would be the land of the milk of your choice and honey. That's fine. Yeah. Pasteurized milk is not in the Bible either, but that's the kind you should use if you're going to get a milk. I'd love for somebody <laughs> to just like follow this dude around for a minute and find out that he drinks blue Powerade, for instance, just for instance, <laughs> and be like, blue Powerade is not in the Bible. Yeah. Well, he wears a suit, and men's suiting is definitely not in the Bible. That's true. That's, uh, it's almost certainly made invention. of mixed fibers. Absolutely. Invented in London in the uh, 19th century. There you go, man. Electric vehicles are not in the Bible. Are you under the impression, sir, that the internal combustion engine is in the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> and then Jesus spake unto them, saying, I do love a Hemi. <laughs> oh, Jesus as a Dodge fan makes me sad. <laughs> Have better taste, Jesus. Um, there's, there's, look, we, all the, know, we all know that Matt wants Jesus to be an Alfa Romeo driver. It feels like if you want to inject people with awe and wonder, but at the same time, a faith that will hold up as the world is falling <laughs> apart around them. And Alfa Romeo is the exact right vehicle for that. That was great. That was really quick yeah, well and done. really great. Well done. Thank you. And uh, the, the, the internal, I like the idea that he thinks the internal combustion engine is in the Bible because are you guys familiar with the com- comedian Kamel Nanjiani? Yeah. That was a great bit. This yeah, is years and yeah. years ago. Because he is a Muslim from Pakistan, I believe, or is, is his Pakistani origin. And he's talking about the, the idea that uh, the idea of women not being able to drive being in the Quran, because he points out the Quran is from the eighth century AD. And he said, if there was a passage that said one day, there will be this thing called cars, but women shouldn't drive them. I would know two things for a fact. One, Islam is the one true faith, and two, women are not allowed to drive cars. <laughs> if that was in that document from the 8th century. So similarly, I think if there was anything that could even remotely be in any way tangentially interpreted as using a fuel to make an engine, to make an engine go, uh, your good friends at ExxonMobil would be paying billions of dollars to have those Bibles printed. That's right. Get a, get a tank full of Leviathan, ExxonMobil. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to th- the thing that fascinates me about this gentleman. is not that he's a, a right-wing dude on Twitter spouting off weird stuff. Because as we pointed out, um, those are a dime a dozen. It's not even that he's Australian, though that's very funny to me. Um, Jen and I were, were kind of discussing this when he found this uh, particular tweet. With the, you know alpha male and this dude's current thing as we record this on Sunday, <clears throat> pardon me, Sunday, September 24th, uh, t- uh, one Taylor Swift, who you may have heard of a recording artist out of Pittsburgh, PA huh. has, uh, shown up with a, a game between, uh, the local, uh, put upon Chicago bears and the Kansas city chiefs, or it has been rumored that she is now dating, uh, Super Bowl winning tight end Travis Kelsey. Um, so this dude, Nick Adams, is on Twitter having a weird meltdown about this, <laughs> about how it proves that Travis Kelsey, again, a tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, has gone woke. Ah. I don't know how you play tight end vocally. Maybe you don't maybe you don't block before you release. I don't know. Um, but so uh, so there it's gotta be a, like a socialist view. Of pass protection, Matt. <laughs> that's, 
pass protection seems pretty collectivist to me. I think <laughs> if the quarterback did not want to get sacked, he should be paying off the offensive linemen to work harder <laughs> to incentivize them. Well done. So he's, he's got the thing. There's a, so somebody apparently caught on a camera. Very nice. Uh, Travis Kelsey scores touchdown. They cut to the, the booth where Taylor Swift is with next to his, uh, uh, the Kelsey mother, where it seems like a very nice lady. They're excited. They're jumping around and he, uh, yells, uh, she yells, uh, excitedly in what some, uh, amateur lip readers are saying may have involved, uh, an F bomb or two. Mm. And if you've ever been to a major sporting event in America, I think you can imagine such a thing happening. Ah. Uh, so this dude goes on Twitter and says the following low class and unladylike from Taylor Swift. We deserve better from our public figures. Millions of kids are watching. Which, uh, first of all, as much as the NFL would like you to believe so, there are not millions of kids watching a Kansas City Chicago game <laughs> at 8 p.m. Central. Uh, also, it's nice that we get to talk about Nick Adams now because this may be his last week on Earth. Yeah, you went on Swift the internet with you, man, and called Taylor Swift low class and unladylike. Yeah, I I hope whatever your pronouns, your feelings about pronouns are now, uh, you get them together because yours might soon be were was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yours are about to be past tense, my man, because uh, their names are Inigo Montoya. You disgraced their mother. Be prepared to die. I I don't, you know, I'm I'm tangentially on the internet. I don't really know much about Stan, Twitter, or whatnot. Here's what I know. When someone wins an award that Taylor Swift may not have even been nominated for, but just like her fans think she should have won, that's like that person's life online for the next two weeks is being bombarded with uh, you know, tightly edited TikToks about how bad they are. Yeah. Unladylike, low class. You yeah. certain you may have had a little too much dip on your chip there, friend. It it may be a case where uh Nick Adams Alpha Male, like somebody that's close to him may need to reach out to him to see, like, hey, how are you doing, buddy? Is this a cry for help? Because like <laughs> this is like as close as one gets to like like it's 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 like taunting a T Rex. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So to, to wrap up the, the fascinating story of Nick Adams, which may soon be coming to a close at the hands of uh, now a very organized, roughly 80 full stadiums full of uh, women who know how to coordinate an outfit based on an era, right? who have no fear of walking through uh, muddy places and camping out in front of a stadium to get the official merchandise. Braving lightning delays. To yeah, their own Nick, peril. I'm just saying. Maybe you should have just made fun of Chiefs fans. Yeah. But the, the thing that fascinates me about this dude, because he ca- obviously came from Australia, and there's, so the, the kind of, the great challenge of our time of figuring out, is someone online being legitimately this weird, or are they just, is it semi-ironic, or are they just trying to run a grift? And, but the thing about this is it doesn't really matter to me, because this is a, a person who came from kind of outside that American evangelical right wing kind of thing. And it's clearly on some level looking at that from the outside and figuring out what do these people want out of someone yeah. that I can do. Um, I, one of the smartest things I read about was Hamilton at the time was somebody was talking about, well, what does this play as a piece of history? And some historian basically said, Oh, it's 
that you you will learn all, almost literally nothing about the founding period. Like there there's some names and stuff in there, but as far as like an understanding of it, you you might come away worse off because it's a a work of fiction. That's what it is. So, however, as a historical document about the time in which it was created, it's almost invaluable. It can teach you a ton, and that's kind of the way anything is when it's created to be one thing. It can kind of tell you something about that. But the the why did this person make this choice to appeal to this audience is super interesting. And this Australian dude looked at the American landscape and said, I think if I make bad jokes about pronouns and get mad at Taylor Swift, these people are going to give me a ton of money. Yeah. And reader, he was correct. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, uh, poke the bears. So the bears enemies give me money. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so Nick Adams, we hardly knew ye. Um, you, you won't, you won't be missed, but enjoy your, your probably last precious week on earth or at least on the internet. Yeah. You, uh, we'll see how much of an alpha male you think you are. <laughs> Good luck. Yes. With that said, that brings us to your fine questions. If you have a question for us, hang out with us all the way to the end. Are you some ways you can touch this? Our first question comes in and says, I started thinking about this when I saw something on my Facebook and started feeling confused. The quote I saw was, imagine what would happen if the single pursuit of Christians is not the lights, smoke machines, LED panels, charismatic preachers, and thumping music, but the presence of God during, during services. In my personal opinion, I feel like the whole emphasis of the presence of God actually came about through the charismatic movement and music, so divorcing music and drama from that would be like, something akin to Eastern meditation techniques. I've also heard the argument that there, that where being in God's presence will actually kill you. So we shouldn't pray and seek for that. What are your thoughts about this term? And uh, a lot of great stuff in this question. I, I really like the kind of the core of it because I'm going to reread the, the kind of inciting incident here. Imagine what would happen if the single pursuit of Christians is not the lights, smoke machines, led panels, charismatic preachers and thumping music but the presence of God during services. And uh, the eagle-eared listener may notice that the way I said presence of God, I may be taking this a bit lightly. <laughs> um, so uh, for, for one good reason, and this is always a bit of a red flag on these kind of things, uh, best we can tell from the, what we have, this per- the person putting this down didn't bother to try to define that as all at all, which kind of gives you an infinite moving target to feel like you're not focusing on the right thing quite enough. Um. But that said, there is a description of such a thing as a presence of God. There is, you know, we do believe that God is omnipresent. That's one of the omnis. Um, So there is something there, but I wonder if we're uh, defining it against these things or worrying about it too much in a worship service may not be uh, something that treats us entirely well. So, Chad, where would we start off with this? Well, these are great questions, and you know we're super glad to hear from you. I think my opening question for you would be, why does the experience of God's presence need to happen during a church service? Because hmm. well, the church to, is where He lives, Jed. <laughs> well, I mean, it's we go visit Him once a week, and then we leave. <laughs> I'm so sensitive about this, Jed. Now you're making everything weird. Yeah, I know. I've been accused of that before, so it's I have a, a pattern. Right. Well, I mean, like when I when I look at the the overcooked quote that I only assume had like a picture of a, you know, a a nondescript but very attractive person raising their arms in worship that it was pasted over. 
Um, you know, it is sunset. Don't forget the sunset. Well, it's both at the same time, right? Yeah. Um, the thumping music and the LED panels, but the presence of God, like that's an interesting question. But then just that, that phrase during services, like, I, I, I think that that's, I think that's really telling because, um, in, for those listening, I mean, we're joking, but in case you're not clear, God doesn't live at church, man. Mm, um, that's right. I mean, one of the things that is, um, important to Christianity, and it's not quite a distinctive only of Christianity, but it's certainly, it's a big part of, of our conception of the Lord is that he's everywhere all the time. As Matt said, the term is omnipresent, but um, in the Psalms, uh, so this would certainly include Judaism, David writes as a rhetorical question, where could I ever run from your spirit? If I, if I go to this one extreme place, you are there. If I go to this other extreme place, you are there. You know, it's, you know, for people who, who worship the God of Abraham, it, it's been clear for a very, very, very long time that, um, the God is everywhere. And, and that's one, that's one of the amazing things about God. I, and, and put it this way, I am likeliest to turn to God, like in a really intentional and focused way when things are going fair, very poorly for me. Um, I don't think I'm alone in that, but I'm, I'm aware of that tendency. Things are not generally going poorly for me, like at their zenith on a Sunday morning in a church building. Th- things are going poorly for me everywhere else. <laughs> it's it's all the other places. It's it's the Saturday nights, not the Sunday mornings, man. So I, I think that we we want to start by by noting that there to be clear, a church can be wonderful and amazing, and it has many great roles to to fill in in the life of of people of faith. But church is in many ways more about experiencing the presence of other believers than it is about experiencing the presence of God, because God's everywhere, and we we really really super need to be clear about that. The next question that I have for you, just something to think about. I'm I'm not trying to campaign you on anything, but you know, in when. You said if you if you take away all kind of the Western megachurch stuff, uh, wouldn't that just kind of lead us with ellipsis, Eastern meditation-esque? And I don't know, because you can't really tell tone of voice when people write things, but it sounds like maybe that's a semi-derisive thing or like something that you'd feel was weird or hinky. And my question back for you, well, first an observation, but then a question. It might be worth reminding yourself that Christianity is an Eastern religion. Um, yeah. And, and like very, very strongly so. And in fact, I think if you want to, this is my personal view, but like if you want to understand where Jesus is coming from on a lot of things, understanding certainly a Near Eastern view of of the world would be very helpful to getting what he was communicating. But so again, the idea that being Eastern would be bad, I think is, if that's being communicated here, I think that's worth reexamining. Then the the question is, have you ever tried meditating? Because meditation is great, yeah, my man. friend. Uh, we could have a separate discussion about whether it helps you to connect with God. It certainly does for me. But like, um, <laughs> meditation is great. Like, uh, strong recommend. Ten out of ten. Um, uh, you know, it di- it's different strokes for different folks. The fact that it works for me doesn't mean it'll work for you. But um, uh, to whatever extent we're thinking that Eastern things might be bad or that meditation might be bad. I want to encourage you to think differently on both of those, just just for for what it's worth. This idea that um, being in God's presence will will actually kill you, we can go ahead and fully put that to bed. God loves you. That's God right. is absolutely crazy about you, and He is crazy about you specifically. 
one of the weird things that Christians have been trying to do for a long time is to add buts and and ifs and provisos to that. Forget all of that. It's not God loves you, but it's just God loves you. Amen. It's not God loves you if, it's just God loves you. God is absolutely crazy about you. To, to the core of my soul, I believe that to be true. You don't have to believe it, but just so you're aware, I do, and I believe it on your behalf. Um, you, you, don't, you don't need to be afraid of God. God is desperately in love with you. I absolutely <clears throat> believe this. The last thing that I want to encourage you towards, well, really two things. The first is, if you're the kind of person that likes to read a book and hearing things out of books, there is a, a really great theologian and philosopher, a guy named Dallas Willard, um, who's written a lot of great stuff, but he specifically has a book called Hearing God. And uh, I think the subtitle is something like Developing a Conversational Relationship with God. It's a great book. Um, if this is a topic you're interested in, you should read that book. Again, the, the author is Dallas Willard. Uh, the book is Hearing God, and I think the subtitle is Developing a Conversational Relationship with God. Um Here's why I bring that up to you. You don't have to be on this, and this doesn't need to be a weird thing, but in my experience, um, I think not only can you connect with God, I think God wants to connect with you. Yep. Uh, and I think that God does want to have a relationship with you in a sense where you communicate with each other. Um, you know, Most Christians believe that they should pray, which is kind of them talking to God. If you can dig it, um, and, and you're free to think that this is weird, but like, I think God wants to talk back to you too. Um, how that's going to work for you, your mileage may vary. And it's kind of a thing that is mystical and you kind of have to figure it out for yourself in a sense. But I, I do think God wants to talk back to you. Um, kind of my closing thought would be given that God is omnipresent. I don't think that experiencing God's presence is about summoning a deity which is kind of a lot of what's in your question is that if we get everything just right and the music's loud enough, then like God is forced to appear like, you know, something out of a pagan ritual. I think because God is omnipresent, this is much more about tuning into a reality that is ever present mm. in your life and simply finding the approaches that make it easier for you to tune in to that reality. Hey, it's a fantastic place to start us off there and leave where we pick things up from there. I mean, I, I just, <laughs> my hope is that you just rewind that and listen to it again. I loved everything that Jed said and started us out with. And the, the only thing I want to do is just to take everything that he said and just take it into an almost sentimental and imaginative space and just posit this to you. Like there is a deity responsible for creating and organizing the universe and the trippy reality is that person wants to be friends with you. That is so insane. And I would encourage you to take a moment and just rest in that reality. That there is, a, there is an intelligence and a personality and an actual person who's responsible for organizing. And like everything you see was this person's abstract art brought into reality. And this person has so much respect for you and so much interest in you that this person wants to literally be friends with you, like wants to interact with your day-to-day -day ups and downs and your questions and problems. Um, one of my questions would be like, have you ever experienced something really amazing at your hands that you didn't make happen. It just, it, it happened for you. Like 
something that was more than you could account for, something that you could not calculate, something that you could not square with the calculation. Um, Christians are weird, and churches a lot of times are about the name on the building and the reputation of the organization and stuff like that. Um, and so churches oftentimes make things about themselves and about their meetings. As Jed said, throw all of that out. All of that out. There's a deity that wants to hang with you. And I literally believe that sometimes he's going to wink. Um, the way that there's a writer that all three of the guys on this podcast really love and respect and have read a lot of called Fred Beekner. Um, who's passed away now, but one of the things that uh, comes up often in his writings when you read his stuff is pay attention. He, this man literally believed that there was a God of the universe who wanted to be friends with him, with Fred. And he said that the, one of the biggest things that he did was to start to pay attention. Just, just you don't have to sweat it. You don't have to be, uh, you don't have to stress about it. Definitely. As Jed said, don't be afraid. And don't let anybody put any parameters on it. I would say relax and pay attention. There's a, there's a deity that likes you a lot and is winking through the moments of your life and is trying to get your attention. Pay attention and, and try to wrap your mind around the idea that the creator of everything actually wants to chill with you. And the, let everything else just float away and try to figure out, what would it be like to experience that reality? It's fantastic stuff from both of these guys. I would uh, tack on the end here just to speak directly to uh, kind of the, the initial uh, post you mentioned of, so it's, it's kind of easy when there's an aesthetic that is a bit, a, a bit basic for lack of a better term or gauche or just kind of, you know, that's, pretty standard and a little aggressive um, that you don't dig. You don't have to dig the aesthetic, but then there's this fairly normal tendency to ascribe to that aesthetic, some negatives that are probably going a little too far. So you, you've, if you listen to this podcast for any amount of time, you know, that th the three of uh, the guys you hear on it are not really into the smoke machines. We make fun of uh, led lights. Sure. Whatever charismatic preachers, not really our jam. Uh, thumping music. Uh, sure, Jed enjoys that, but only in the right context and not necessarily in a Sunday morning situation. Um, but the, the idea that a church that has certain aesthetics is less, has less God in it than ones that are, I don't know, sing hymns or you only have an acoustic guitar or where the pastor wears very chic eyeglasses and talks about, you know, preaches out of a leather notebook of things he wrote very clever stuff down in there's nothing wrong with any of that either but like the idea that man the only the thing that's stopping people from it's kind of the opposite of what jed was describing which is a very common idea as well if we do all the things right god will come in here the idea that oh no the led lighting god is god has forsaken us for we have <laughs> they've done this thing and i also don't want people to get that twisted with we do talk a lot of the show and i do think this is this has uh an effect on how the almighty may think of your religious organization about how much money people spend on aesthetic stuff Yikes. versus other things. 
but now they're, you know, LED lighting is cheaper than you think. You know, you can buy a pretty good amp and, and crank that up without, you know, breaking the bank. Um, so it's perfectly okay to have aesthetic choices about anything, but even as a Christian there, that's kind of, um, part of what you're doing. If you go, if you're looking for a church, you're looking for a worship service, you're going to find something that works for you uh, on some level there. And that's totally cool. But when people start ascribing spiritual dimensions to aesthetic choices, one way or the other, that's always going to be problematic. So even yep. if without the, 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 the depth and the really cool stuff these guys gave you, so I'm just saying, well, you know, if people just stopped with their lights and their whatever, and there'd be a lot more God in our churches, eh, that's just kind of insane on the face of it. So uh, as ever, and we, the gift we try to give you on the podcast, this is not a thing you have to take seriously. Go in peace and think of ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> or whatever you like to think of when you're at peace. That's just me. I may have revealed something about my inner life there, and that's fine. I loved ice cream sandwiches before my lactose intolerance. Oh, they do make oat milk ice cream sandwiches. They're, they're, oh. They are unbiblical. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> or can we find those in the, in the Trader Torah? Joe's. Or the cut to, <laughs> A den of iniquity. Y'all come on down to Lucifer's Creamery. Our uh, lactose-free treats will damn your soul to perdition, but darn, they're delicious. <laughs> Would that be the rocky road to perdition, Jen? Oh, oh, well done. Wow. Yeah. Well done. Right there. Oh. In the pocket. All right, moving on to our next question here. Comes in and says, how can I ask God to help me be a more optimistic person? Is that even something I should want? I think another great question. Jed, where we kick off here? That's a great question. Well, my immediate back to you is, what is your pessimism protecting? Hmm. Right. So you, you feel, Jed, I know that wasn't directed exactly at me, but I don't care for your tone. <laughs> that tells anything about how close that hit tone for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, dude, we all have reasons for, for our tendencies, you know? I mean, um, uh, people, people who are super optimistic are that for a reason. People who are pessimistic are that for a reason. So why are you a pessimist? And, and again, you know, my initial question is, what is it protecting? Which I, I do think is worth thinking about, but we can ask even more broadly, like, what are you getting out of this? Mm. Um, you, you assume that most things will fail. Um, man, it's a big world. There's a ton of data in it. That's not the only way to look at the world. So it is a choice uh, to, to view the world that way. Why? What are, what are you getting out of it? And I think it's worth examining. I don't know if these things are true for you, but um, they would certainly be common reasons why people would turn to pessimism. The first is that pessimism keeps people from being disappointed. If I don't expect that things will work out, then it doesn't bother me as much when they don't. And here's the thing. No judgment. I get that. Being disappointed is one of the worst feelings in the world. Um, there's something where every time, and I mean, like, I'm not young anymore, so I've had a lot of disappointment in my life because that just comes with not being a kid. Um, but like every time it hurts, like the first time Th there's this sense of like, how could the world allow me to be disappointed? I don't know. It's, it's disappointment sucks. And I, and I get the idea that you would want to protect yourself from it. It's also worth asking. And another reason why you might be pessimistic is does the presumption of failure give you the excuse to not bother in the first place? Let me ask you that again. 
does the presumption that things will fail, that things will not work out, does that let you off the hook of bothering to try and bothering to apply yourself and bothering to try to rise to the occasion? As a person, and I'm talking about myself now, who has the ability to be exceptionally lazy, pessimism can be very convenient when I really, really want to be lazy. Hey. Because it, here's the other side of this, right? I mean, like, does God want you to be a more optimistic person? I don't know. But I think God does want you to be a hopeful person. Um, and I can say that because, like, hope is a big part of being a Christian. Um, you know, I mean, the Apostle Paul wrote, now these three remain faith, hope, and love. Um, you know, I mean, uh, hope's, like, real, real important. <laughs> like, hope is kind of the thing that that defines uh, the, the Christian faith. So I, I think it's safe to say that, yes, God probably does want you to to grow in your experience of hope. But let's tell the whole truth. Hope is risky. And hope often demands that we get to work. And, and this is the part that I take as a personal insult. Hope often demands that we're uncomfortable along the way um, because we're doing things that we'd rather not be doing. We're doing things that don't feel like a good fit for us. We're doing things where we're not certain that they'll work out. And those are awful feelings. I don't like this. And, right, exactly. I hate this. I hate all of this. So um, the idea of like, you know, I could adopt a worldview that means I almost never have to be uncomfortable. And I don't have to apply myself at things unless I super, super want to. And I'm rarely disappointed because I never really expect things to work out. Like, those are really compelling reasons to hold a certain worldview. To put it another way, right? Everybody in Silicon Valley, they're trying to come up with the killer app that people will pay $20 a month for. If you told me I could pay $20 a month for this app that made it where I rarely had to work hard, was never uncomfortable and rarely disappointed, I would sign up immediately. And so would everyone that you know, we would all sign up for the anesthetation app immediately if it would give us those benefits. The thing is, there's also trade-offs. You might have heard the phrase, a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that's one of the things about pessimism is uh, it has a way of making itself come true. If, if you don't think that things will work out, you may find yourself behaving in a way that contributes to them not working out. If you don't think that things are worth doing, you may find yourself approaching them in a way that makes them not worth doing. Hope is... Hope is an interesting thing because it is trying to think of a way to say this. That's not bad. Hope is like barrel strength whiskey for the soul. It's really, really good. And it will absolutely kick you in the butt. And it's also possible to misuse it too. People can get into a hopeful thing and make really poor decisions off of that too. And it can be hard to know how to balance that. And I think that points to the other thing, figuring out how to live a hopeful life is a skill mm. and you get better at it as you, as you go. I did not grow up a hopeful person. And that is for a lot of reasons. Um, I am night and day a more hopeful person today than I was 25 years ago. I'm a night and day more hopeful person than I was 15 years ago, but I, I had to grow into that and I had to develop outlooks and skills that made that possible. I will tell you for me, hope has made my life immeasurably better. And I think hope has, has allowed me to make other people's lives better too. 
Because um, there's things I would not have done if I didn't have a sense of, of hope. I wouldn't have been motivated to help other people. But it has required me to work incredibly hard. It has required me to be uncomfortable all the damn time. Um, and I've not done it perfectly. But all that assembled, it has been massively, massively worth it. Does God want to help you be a more optimistic person? I don't know. But God does care about hope, and God does care about you figuring out what hope means for you. And I think that it is worth, um, even if it's cautiously, I think it's worth you taking steps into figuring out what that's going to look like in your life. That's all incredibly well put. Um, It was a beautiful analogy, but because of the way my brain works, I can now only think of a Christian like Hobby Lobby bumper sticker that says, driving under the influence of hope. (laughs) Wow, dude. You could actually make money on that, man. Isn't that sad? Um, so uh, all excellent stuff by Jed there. So, Lee, where do we pick things up? First of all, I just want to say, not only did Matt come up with a a possible lucrative Christian product, but he also managed to be sad about it. Yeah, on two levels. It makes me sad that people would buy that, and it makes me sad that, speaking of what Jed was saying, even though I know it would make money, I'm too lazy to do it. And you're doesn't take a lot of effort to set up an Etsy store, but it'd be so sad the whole time. It's incredible. I mean, that's just meta Matt King right there. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, uh, I, I, I want to pick right up, uh, where, where Jeb was running the ball right there. Uh, we're just going to do a lateral and I'm going to keep running down the field. Um, I want to replace the words positivity and negativity with two words that are more subtle. So I'm going to use the word, the word, one of the words that Jed's already given us, which is instead of the word positivity, we're going to use the subtle word hope. And instead of negativity, we're going to use a more subtle word, which is cynicism. So positivity and negativity are things that we easily understand. So we're going to compare hope and cynicism right now. And the thing that I can tell you is that the, the trick with cynicism, with a cynic, is... The difficulty with cynicism is there's comedy there. There, You can make somebody laugh if you're a cynic, and there is some comfort in laughter. Um, the world is a dark place. The world will kick you in the teeth. The world will dash your dreams. And if we can laugh about it, that feels good. Cynics give us um, easy laughs. Um, there's comedy in cynicism. But there's also a lot of toxicity and cynicism. It doesn't go anywhere. It just sits. It sometimes laughs, but it mainly just sits. Um, whereas exactly as Jed's describing, hope is a more subtle thing than positivity. Positivity is a more reductive, uh, it's a more reductive emotion. It's just, everything's going to be great. Um, whereas hope is a biblical concept as Jed has already described which hope includes an ingredient that positivity doesn't have. Jed's already talked about this, but I'm going to line it out this way. Hope includes honesty. Yeah. Jed described uh, discomfort, and that's an extremely important part of that. Uh, I'll give you a New Testament example of that. Um, In the book of 1 Timothy, the last verse of the first chapter the Apostle Paul guarantees that anyone who really follows the Christ will suffer. Now, that's something you don't hear a lot in church. That's something that's not covered in a lot of Bible studies. It's definitely not something that's on any Christian mugs or t-shirts. 
but the New Testament guarantee for anyone who wants to follow the Christ is suffering. Now, Paul says at the, in, with the same mouth, with the same ink pen, he says, we are people of hope. We are people of suffering and we're people of hope. That's a different, hope and suffering can live in the same space. Positivity doesn't have that kind of subtlety. And that's where we've got to, to live. Cynicism doesn't include um, the idea that you could have any faith or hope. Cynicism is just everything sucks and everybody's always out to get you. And don't we all know that? Let's at least laugh about it until we die. Um, and there are some jokes there. There's some, there's some good bits in cynicism, but there's, but there's no, uh, there, we don't, we don't have any, we don't have any positive reaction to the, the reality of the world. Hope is better than positivity because it includes the honesty. Um, and the honesty piece is, is suffering. So it, this is where I've gotten in my own life. If I'm going to have hope, which is a more subtle and a more honest version of positivity, then the thing that I have to personally work on, and I'm not talking about you, listener, I'm pointing the finger at me. The thing that I personally have had to work on is pettiness. Hmm. That's the deal that I've had to square, is I have plenty of petty things that I've got to figure out in myself. I'm not saying that as somebody, I'm, I'm not coming at you right now in your ears as somebody that's figured all that out and has uh, grown to a level of maturity where I have squared all of my pettiness. I still have some of it. And when I encounter that pettiness and I haven't dealt with it, then that comes out as either as either negativity or cynicism, as either the reductive version or the subtle version of the bad side of the coin. Um, but when I can square some of that pettiness and I can deal with the, on, the, with the way that God has been honest with me, and when I say God has been honest with me, what I'm saying is, the, the New Testament scriptures have told me, son, you will suffer, but there is hope. Horrible things are going to happen, but there is grace. You are going to be frustrated, but there is forgiveness. You are going to, you're not going to always get your way, but there is beauty. That's the honesty of the New Testament. And when I can't square that, it's usually because of some pettiness where I will not give up something that, that God has already been honest with me about. And that is what I love about hope. Hope is honest. Positivity is reductive. Negativity is reductive. Cynicism has some honesty in it too. So I think what we're looking for is we're looking for the honesty of hope, where we look at the fact that God has been honest about the suffering. God has been honest about heartbreak. God has been honest about deferred hope um, and, and deferred dreams. Um, and that we are going to have to wait on some things. And when I can square some of that and I can trust and wait, um, then then hope is a more honest version of positivity. I, for one, am shocked uh, that my coworker, that my co-host here deal with things like pettiness and cynicism. Uh, I, much like you, listener, have never had any problem with either of those, <laughs> and I'm ashamed for them and their terrible, shameful struggles. <laughs> A little bit of tongue in cheek there. Uh, great stuff from these guys. I, I will add that um, there's also, if you, I, and I think, you know, you mentioned, is it even a good goal to be more optimistic? Uh, if we replace optimistic with hopeful as both these guys do, which I think is, is, is the right move. Then it, it is a good goal. And one thing I, I would add about that is 
Uh, you don't have to do that all at once. Um, there is definitely still stuff in the world, still stuff in my life that I am pretty darn cynical about. And here's the thing. I kind of think I'm right. <laughs> Even though in the overall, I know we should choose hope over cynicism. When it comes to certain people, certain topics, certain experiences, I'm still on the cynicism. But there are other things I am more hopeful about. And as Jed uh, mentioned, you know, if you just take the aggregate of my life, I'm way more of a hopeful person than I was 5, 10, 20 years ago. So um, the idea that you have to wake up and not be you in order to be a hopeful or optimistic or a positive person that's that's not how that works in a in a healthy sustainable way mm-hmm. um you you can definitely work on being more hopeful and you will hit a part of that journey probably the entirety of that journey for the rest of your life is there will be parts of your life and things and uh, seasons in which you are more hopeful about than others and that's okay that's that's how that's supposed to work you don't just have to switch over to being uh sunshine rainbows about every single thing in order for that to count And with that, we move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, is it good to take time away from things to quote, focus on God? It sounds like a good thing, but shouldn't we be focusing on God as part of our everyday lives? Another very cool question. I do think we see the taking time away to focus on God in a number of uh, situations that we may make light of on the show. Sometimes, Uh, sometimes that is a a pastor, other professional who's been caught in some sort of thing they should have been doing. So they're taking some time away to focus. Uh, but even just, you know, someone who's taking a vacation or taking a sabbatical or uh, any other uh, positive thing that can be, there can be that little smear of spirituality on, on it that I don't know, can, can muddy things. If you're someone who hasn't heard those type of phrases before. So Jed, where do we start off? This is a great question. And it has something uh, as a preview of coming attractions, it, it has something in common with a question from our next episode, which is we're asking about something from a Christian perspective, but I think we'd be best served by acknowledging that there's a thing to examine for every person on the planet, kind of regardless of um, their faith system or lack thereof. So let's ask a slightly different question. Is it good to take time away from things? Yes. Yeah, it it, it is. Um, there's a spiritual element to it that we'll add in in a second, but just Anyone who can, who where it's at all possible, regularly, you should take breaks. Um, you should take breaks in a given day. You should take breaks in a given week, in a given month, in a, in a given year. You should take breaks. It is, I think, one of the things that is so true about life in the year 2023. There's a lot of stuff where people are like, oh, things are the worst they've ever been, which, man, that's super not true. But but one thing that that is kind of uniquely true about life today versus the past is things are nonstop in a way that they probably were not a couple hundred years ago. Like you are in just a constant deluge of information and stimulus and events and news and, and your brain was not created to, to handle that. Um, it's, it's not super healthy for you. It's not super healthy for me. It's not super healthy for any of us. Uh, so it's always been really, really important and healthy for human beings to regularly take breaks. It's probably the most important now than it has ever been, um, given the, the, just the times in which we find ourselves. And that's not even including the fact that like we have all this information and stuff is generally going pretty poorly right now. So, I mean, when, when you put those together, you, you definitely for sure would benefit from taking regular breaks. But I think where, um, we're going to have to embrace a bit of self-discovery is that 
what effective breaks look like for you is something that you're going to have to dial in. Yeah. There's not such a thing as like a one size fits all, um, approach to, to taking a break. Right. Like, I mean, like one of the things that floats around online that's semi hilarious are, um, people who've had some success in the business world who want to be influencers now, and they'll describe their morning routine. And you mean think fluencers, Jed, I do mean think fluencers. They're thought leaders, Matthew. That's um, right. So like they'll describe their morning routine and you know how they get up at, you know, three forty seven AM and then they they, you know, meditate for exactly twenty three minutes and then they do their first yoga session of the day and blah 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 blah. First of all, no, you're not. I mean, like, most of this is just made up. But even if you were doing that and it was working super well for you, you know, random CEO in Silicon Valley, that doesn't at all mean that it does work or will work or should work for anybody else. Um what is restful for you and what is restful for someone else? It's actually not safe to assume that those would be the same thing. Um, I have friends, I have a really good friend who loves fishing. It's one of his favorite things at the moment. That is not a restful activity for me. Um, I, I would not, I would not feel, you know, really connected with, with myself and the world if I was fishing. So I gotta, I gotta find my other stuff to do. Amen. And so do you. And, and it's worth noting, right, that that's an ongoing thing. It's not like you find, you know, a couple of things work really well for you and then they're just the same forever. So you can just kind of set it and forget it. Like the, depending on, on the season that you're, that you're in, um, I think you're going to probably find that that changes and evolves over time, which, which is normal and, and not in any way a problem. If we want to add back in that spiritual element of, is it good, away, good to take time away from things to focus on God? Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's a great idea. To go back to our first question, it may be more about finding a way to take time to connect with God and, and tune into the reality that, he, that he's with you and that, he, and that he loves you. But if we want to think of that as focusing on him, that's, that's cool too. Um, but again, it's really important to be aware um, that's not a one-size-fits-all thing either. Um, there was a time like Christian bookstores, I don't think really exist anymore. There was a time when half of the books at them were trying to give you the recipe of how to have an effective quiet time. Um, and I, I don't think there is one, like you have to figure out what allows you to, um, get to a place where you're better able to, to tune into the reality of God within you and without you. Um, and I can't really tell you what that will look like for you. And as, as a preview of, if you do read that Dallas Willard book, that's what he's going to tell you too, is you have to experiment and try things, which I'm aware is inconvenient because it would be great if I knew uh, to tell you the exact thing that would work for you. But, but I don't, um, but I'll, I'll add one more thought. Don't let this be another have to. Yeah. We are inundated, and this isn't just Christians. Like, this is culture broadly, although Christians are really bad at it. Man, we are inundated with the nonstop to-do list and the the ought-tos that never end, and therefore you're always failing and you're always letting down somebody or some part of yourself. Don't let taking a, a break become another thing causing you shame. Whatever it needs to be, find a way that this really is a get-to in your life that this really is a thing that is a net positive and that you look forward to. Um, I, I don't, I don't know the person who wrote this question, but I'm confident you don't need any more shame in your life. So let's find a way to navigate this where this isn't about trying to shame ourselves into better behavior. I think that is a very important point to make whenever we run across it. And Lee, where do we pick this up? 
I love it. I mean, I, I love all the stuff that Jed's saying. I'm super thankful for the thing that he said at the end of this. I, I, I work with a lot of young people and, um, and young people receive, you know, I'm in my, I'm, I'm middle-aged, uh, young people that I work with receive like 10 times the notifications that I receive from various apps, um, various, you know, whether that's uh Snapchat or Instagram or, um, you know, be real or whatever it is. And, um, the idea that you could just, you know, swipe up and hit that crescent moon button that pauses notifications for a minute and just, and just take some time. I think that's fantastic. But I also completely agree with what Jed's saying about this, you know, not making this yet another deliverable in your day that if you screw it up, if you miss it, um, I think, I think a lot of people at this point use uh, Duolingo. I know Matt has been using it for years in the like Portuguese, right, man? Seem okay, and um, and I really love this. This is an application that helps you uh, attempt to learn a foreign language. Um, I really love the app. I think it's fantastic. But I will tell you that if you fall off on Duolingo, they shame you. At a level yeah, that's they do. unbelievable. Sad owl. They have an adorable cartoon owl that tells you how much it misses you. Duo is sad. It literally says, duo is sad. Lee Younger, you ruined duo's life. How do you sleep at night? I don't. That's the problem. That <laughs> owl is so freaking adorable, man. And I made him sad. And that and the amount of money that was poured into a market marketing focus groups in uh, Northern California to find the effective way to get people to engage with an app, and somebody landed on guilt. Yeah, guilt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on, man. How many of y'all had church shame? Anyway, okay, that's peer reviewed guilt. So let's let's go back to um, to all the, the wonderful stuff and wise stuff that Jed said, and I think the the really important question is for you to do the hard work of, of figuring out the answer to this question, which is what equals rest for you? That's a, that's a difficult question, man. Um, when I was, when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, there's probably nothing I hated more in the world than doing dishes. Like that was the worst thing possible. I got to tell you at 44 years old, I love doing dishes. I do the dishes every single night. I, I, I find the dishes very relaxing. I'm by myself. I'm, I'm taking something that's dirty and I'm making it clean. And that is very gratifying for me. And, it's, and it, it, it recharges the batteries for me. I can't explain that to you. That's something that's changed over the course of my life. What's the goal here? Like, how do we reset? How do you relax? Where is a place where you could connect with God? What is, what would, what would a meditative state be like for you? Do you like exercise? Do you like running? Do you like walking or hiking? Do you like sitting? Do you like reading? Like, what is the thing we need to do some research? We need to do some self-assessment. What is the goal? How do we recharge batteries? And let's reduce as much stress or shame out of the process of learning the answer to those questions. Cause I think all of the stuff that Jed said, that's exactly right. And so the work that we need to do is finding out what would it look like 
for us to recharge, restore, and connect. That's it. Yep. I mean, I think these things are mutually. Ex- I, I don't think these things are mutually exclusive. The idea of like having an ongoing prayer with God, I think it's a great idea. Just talk to God about everything. He already knows everything anyway. So just you know, you have a hard conversation, you have a difficult moment. Go ahead and and and, and talk to him about that stuff. Um, you want to have a, a specific time set aside for God during the day. Wonderful. Uh, that that's all great. But I think the deeper work is along the lines of what Jed's talking about, which is as an individual, unique human being, what does restoration look like for you at this stage in your life? By the way, it may change. If I went back in time with a time machine, with a Bill and Ted's phone booth, with an umbrella thing at the top of it, no one knows this reference. If I went back in time to 1997 and told myself, dude, one day, the most restorative part of your day is when you're going to be alone doing the dishes. Then, like, my 17-year-old self would have been like, dude, you are a loser, and I am so disappointed with where our life has landed. (laughs) And then I would have said, you know nothing, you ignorant buffoon. But, you know, and we would have gotten in a fight. But I'm just saying, those things may change. So that's what we're looking for is, what's restorative? What's relaxing? What brings you peace? And then let's, let's try to connect with God in those spaces, learning who you are. All amazing bits of the answer, but I'm the part I'm stuck on is imagining the time travel movie where the the main issue is someone goes back to, to you know warn or give their teenage self some advice and ends up ripping a hole in the space time continuum because they get in a physical fight yeah. with their teenage self because he's just such a douche. Yeah, I think there I think there's something there. I think it's very relatable. Here's the, here's the problem is. <laughs> Like, 17-year-old me was in better shape, but 44-year-old me has that dad strength. And so it's, there it is. it's a really difficult yeah. fight to figure out who's going to win that one. That's right. He doesn't know about the bad knees, but you know that his knees aren't bad yet. So there's real <laughs> intelligence kind of <laughs> flatlining on the strategy yeah. there. Fantastic stuff from these guys. One thing, one thing I'll add on here, we kind of, we kind of alluded to it, but I want to make sure it gets kind of said out loud. The other thing that could be going on here as far as taking some time off to focus on the Lord is, is this people just putting who feel themselves feel guilty about just taking a vacation? Yeah. Trying to reframe that as something, uh, then this is very American Protestant work ethic combo of like, not only is this spiritual, it's also very productive. Dude, I was thinking about this recently, Matt, and, and I I hate to cut you off, but I was thinking about this recently because I realized I was reading in the in one of the gospels where Jesus took his disciples um to on an international vacation. They left Jerusalem and went to the 10 cities, the Decapolis, and they went on a vacation. He said, "Come away with me and let's get some rest." And I realized every single time I've ever heard a sermon about that or read a commentary, they always called it a retreat. And I realized that Christians do that with the that it, Christians do not allow themselves to take vacations. They have to use a military word, retreat. We have to be doing something. And so it's like it has to be this active thing. So they called it a retreat because we can't just be on vacation. Whereas in the, the text itself, it's clearly an international vacation. They have left the country 
to go rest. That was the whole point of the international vacation, was to go rest with Jesus. But Christians have to use a military word so that it sounds like we're doing something. Yes, that is an excellent observation. And again, as maybe the theme of the episode, you don't have to buy into that. If you want to take a vacation because you're tired or because it's fun, that's fine too. And we think Jesus is on board with that. So with that, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, take out this song this week. It's been a minute since we've heard uh, from Lee on the way out. So take out with his beloved song by Lee. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do. I am a child of the maker of stars. Oh, the one who knows everything. Handmade my heart and he cherishes treasures. We gave life and blood. Well, he is my friend and I'm his beloved. Sometimes it feels like my life's just a mess Only failures and struggles, no sign of success But Jesus is for me, He sees me so differently Loves me, accepts me, I'm choosing to believe That I am a child of the maker of stars treasures me, gave life and blood, well, he is my friend, and I'm his beloved. Well, sometimes I feel like I'm not good enough, that I have no future, and I have no worth, but the God of all galaxies has a good plan for me, leads me and helps me. I'm choosing to believe that I am a child of the maker of stars. Oh, the one who knows everything, handmade my heart and he cherishes, treasures me, gave life and blood. Well, he is my friend and I child of the maker of stars oh the one who knows everything handmade my heart and he cherishes treasures me gave life and blood well he is my friend and i'm his beloved beloved beloved